welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 132 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 9th of November 2014, entitled The Genesis Account, Part 9, The Acuteness of Man's Fall. And the Bible reading is taken from Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. The two passages that Alex was reading from, first of all in Revelation chapter 19, of course, taking place in the Valley of Megiddo and what is referred to as the Battle of Armageddon. It's a term that's been picked up even by society, by the world, because when they speak of Armageddon, they're talking about a battle to end all, a battle that is beyond imagination. And certainly as the Battle of Armageddon is described in scriptures, we find that it will be a battle like none that have gone before it. The blood that is shed there will be beyond our imagination and comprehension for sure. But one of the things that as we have been looking in Genesis chapter 3 in our series on the Genesis account, and we've been looking in recent weeks at the acuteness of man's fall. What do we mean by the acuteness of man's fall? I'm talking about the severity of it, the depth of it, the expanse of it. When men fell in that one fatal sin there in the Garden of Eden. And I think that one of the things as we think of these readings this morning, almost more than anything that I can imagine, This final battle that he reads of in Revelation chapter 20, though it may not be as on as grand a scale as Armageddon that takes place prior to that thousand-year reign being set up, but the thing that just absolutely blows me away that if it shows us the acuteness of man's fall, of just how depraved that man is, is that following Armageddon and Jesus Christ sits upon his throne and reigns on this earth, when we find that beautiful picture and many others that are given to us in Scripture that we read from Micah this morning, a paradise once again, a place of peace, we find that even after a thousand years of Jesus Christ reigning upon this earth, that when Satan is loosed from that pit, after he has been bound there during that thousand years, that's the only way that peace could reign upon this earth is for Satan to be done away with. And as soon as he is released, it says he goes out to the four corners of the earth and he deceives again. How far does man have to be that after sitting under the reign of Jesus Christ himself, For a thousand years, he would still be deceived by Satan. But that's precisely, and as we have looked at these thoughts thus far, I'd like to take our scripture reading this morning from Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's holy word beginning again in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. 
And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Father, thank you again this morning for the time that we have for your word. Father, again, we do pray, Lord, that as we look into your word, that by the power of your spirit, that you would speak to our hearts. Give us something today, Lord, that will make a difference in our lives, each and every one, because you know every individual here. You know what is needed. We entrust you to do that work that only you can. We will surely give you all the glory for it. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. If we've been talking about the acuteness of man's fall, we have followed through these scriptures and we look first of all at the entrance of Satan. God had this beautiful, wonderful paradise that he had created upon this place that he had created called earth. But then Satan came on the scene for the very first time in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. In that same verse, we didn't even get out of one verse from the time that Satan entered till we find that he spoke and went to entice the woman. The enemy entered in. He enticed the woman there in the garden. And then, of course, following that enticement of the woman, we looked at the error of man. He just out and out chose to make the greatest error that he ever could, to disobey God. Satan entered, the woman was enticed, man fell into error, and fourthly, we looked last time at the estrangement with God. In other words, something happened that divided, that separated, that alienated us from the very God that we've been in perfect harmony with, that error of man. And as we came to the close of that last time, I'd just like to remind you of a couple of passages and we move forward this morning. And one was in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Picking up in verse 17, he says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of, what's that next word? Reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, 
We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, man was alienated. Man was divorced. Man was separated. Man was divided from God because of that sin when it came in. Christ came to reconcile. If there was a ministry of reconciliation that was needed, if this passage over and over speaks even of us being representative, being ambassadors for God, that this ministry of reconciliation might continue on, then it means that there was a need to be reconciled. There was a reason that we needed to be reconciled. That's because that we had been estranged. If you look also in the book of Colossians chapter 1, the Word of God tells us this. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight if you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Jesus Christ. You see, remember that when God came into the garden. 
he asked that question, Adam, where art thou? Where are you? He didn't ask that because he didn't know. He asked so that Adam would know that he would have to admit to himself. And I would simply remind you this morning, is God asking you that question? Where are you? As Adam in the garden here, once he became estranged from God, are you hiding from the voice of God? Are you fearful of being in his presence? Fearful of standing before God, your creator? I would even ask you if like Adam and Eve, remember, as we came right down, they all had an excuse. Are you looking for an excuse? Are you looking for someone else to blame for where you are or what you are or what your life is at this point. You see, every human being since the first man, Adam, became estranged from God, every human being since has been estranged from God because of sin. They've been alienated from him. They've been separated from him. We said that we most often use that word estranged when we're talking about an, an estranged husband or an estranged wife. Something that used to be. None of us here today are any different than every other human being that's ever existed. <laughs> Just as God went calling for Adam in the garden God's the one that calls for us today. God's the one that calls for you today. Just as we read there in this reading in Colossians, Jesus Christ is the one that can bring you that, that peace and that reconciliation. As today we remember the many that have fallen. That search for peace. Amongst mankind. May I say to you. And remind you once again. That every one of those battles that have been fought. Every person. That has shed their blood. Every death. That has ever been. Has been precisely because of what we are reading about right here. In the book of Genesis. Its root is in sin. It's bad enough that we can become alienated enemies with other human beings, but to become enemies with the one that created us. Jesus came to reconcile you, to give you that relationship back. But you have to trust him to do that. You see, you have to, as he went asking Adam, where are you? We have to answer that question honestly. We have to confess our guilt in response to God's voice. Through the Holy Spirit, yes. 
We have to seek forgiveness from the only one that can give it, God the Father. You're the only one that makes it possible, and that's Jesus Christ. Where art thou? You see, he turns then to the next verse in verse 14 here. The Bible tells us, and the Lord God said unto the serpent, remember, he started with the man, the man took him to the woman, the woman took him to the serpent. Everybody's got somebody else. Well, God's dealing with everybody in this. And he'll continue to deal with them. But this came about as a result in verse 13, and the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. The devil made me do it. I couldn't help it. It's just the way things are. Well, God will come back to the woman. He'll come back to the man but okay, he's going to deal with the serpent here. We need to recognize we've already covered this ground. We've looked through the scriptures and how the serpent is without a shadow of a doubt, Satan. We find that he's referred to that in many places. What we need to recognize when we're reading these verses here is that God is dealing with both the physical serpent and the spiritual Satan in this same being because they are both in this same being. Satan has taken control of this serpent in the garden. God deals with both. Could the serpent honestly say, the devil made me do it? Well, he could. What we find is that everybody that's touched here First of all, in verse 14, he says, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, this is the physical serpent, this is this beautiful creature that God has created and placed there in the garden, but because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. On thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. He's talking to the physical serpent in the garden. Now this serpent was so possessed and controlled and used of Satan. We've seen that he was literally one with Satan. They're spoken of as one. They are so much one that... Their names are interchanged as being one and the same. You can call him serpent. You can call him Satan. You say, well, isn't that kind of unusual? Well, I've often thought, well, what about old Peter? <laughs> he wasn't just any old animal in the garden. That was physical Peter standing there when Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Because Satan had control of him at that point. Here, this creature was under complete control, acting at one with Satan. But God cursed that creature above all creatures that he had created. All the other animal life out there, 
He said, you're cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Now that's interesting. In all of creation was affected by the curse. But the serpent was uniquely cursed because of what Satan had done through him. Before the fall, we don't know what a serpent, what that old snake looked like before the fall in the garden. Sounds like he must have had some kind of legs. He must have been up off the ground at least because that was part of the curse. He's going to crawl on his belly. He's going to have to eat the dust of the ground because of the fall. What I want you to begin to grasp the picture here in all of this. God went into the garden asking Adam where he was. Asking Adam what he had done. But Adam said, oh, it's Eve you want to see. <laughs> She's the one that made me do it. So he says, okay, Eve, what is this thing that you've done? Oh, the serpent's the one that made me do it. It's the serpent that caused this to be. Well, now this serpent we know is in fact being possessed and used, controlled by Satan himself. But God is dealing with both that serpent, the creature that is being used of Satan. And then notice in verse 15, he's not talking to the physical serpent here for sure. He's talking to the spiritual Satan. He says, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. After cursing the physical serpent, God turns his attention to this spiritual serpent, Satan. What does he mean? I will put enmity. What is enmity? The word means hostility. It's talking about a, a deep-rooted hatred. They're going to be enemies. This hostility is going to be put there between Satan and the woman and between Satan's seed and her seed. Who is that? Well, if you look in the Scripture, you'll find that Satan's seed... Is every unbeliever. Whereas Eve's seed being Christ and all those that are one with him, his seed are the believers. Look with me if you would. Jesus makes this pretty clear himself in the Gospel of John, chapter 8. John, chapter 8. Let's pick up in verse. 34, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. It's not the servant that's got a forever abiding place there. It's the son that does. Now, if you commit sin, you're a servant of sin, 
But it's not the servant that stays forever. It's the son. Notice what he says now. He's making a clear point. If the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. In that household, the son can give you your freedom. I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. I know that, again, this, you physically, you all came from Abraham's seed. I know you're a Jew. You're part of Abraham's seed. But yet, you're trying to kill me because you don't like what I say. My word has no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen of who? Of your father. I'm doing, Jesus said, what I've seen with my father, you're doing what you've seen with your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto them, if ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. You see, there's a physical seed and a spiritual seed here. He's acknowledged that they're physically in the seed of Abraham, but spiritually they're not. They're trying to kill the Son of God. If you were Abraham's children, if you were a spiritual child, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. They're trying to claim their place as God's seed because of the physical connection they have with Abraham. And Jesus is drawing a straight line down and saying, That physical seed is not what gets you there. It's a spiritual seed. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, he would love me. For I proceed forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. Why can't they hear his word? Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. Physically, they were in the line of Abraham, but spiritually, they're in the line of Satan. They're his seed. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because... You're not of God. 
Folks, Jesus draws a sharp contrast here between them being the physical seed of Abraham and being the spiritual seed of Abraham. That's exactly what we see here in the Garden of Eden. You see, in a real physical sense, all mankind are the seed of Eve. In a physical world, notice what he says in verse chapter 3, verse 20, and Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. You see, today, I don't care who you are, how pretty or how ugly, what color your skin is, what language that you might speak, where you come from on place of planet Earth, Eve is the seed physically that has gotten you here today. <laughs> physically, we all come from that same seed. And as such, it is because of that very thing which we'll look at in further detail through Adam that the seed of sin was passed to each and every one of us. However, woman would have one seed that wasn't going to come through Adam's seed, but through God alone. Christ is the one that would be the seed of woman, of Eve, of woman in his humanity and the very seed of God in his divinity. None like him. In verse 14, God dealt with the physical serpent and put it on his belly, and that's the way it would remain forever. In verse 15, he's dealing with the spiritual seed, the spiritual Satan, and we keep that in mind with what Jesus himself taught that we read there in John chapter 8. And, of course, many other scriptures. We see very clearly what God is prophesying here in these verses Oh, I want to say to you this morning, <laughs> yes, all the battles, all the fallen, they go back to the fall of man in the garden. But here, amidst that fall, amidst the curse that would affect all of humanity and all of creation, grasp the beauty and the wonder of what God is saying here. Here in the midst of this passage, he gives the message of hope the message of doom for Satan, but a message of hope and victory for all the seed of Jesus Christ. God is speaking of this struggle on the one side of Satan and his seed, which is the unbelievers, and on the other side, Christ and his seed, the believers. Oh, you marked this down. Please, please. God is trying to give you hope. This is a conflict. We can look around the world and we can see the conflicts anywhere and the many that are falling, but this is one conflict that every human being is in. You are in one side or the other, and from right here in Genesis chapter 3, they became mortal enemies forever. Every human being as a seed of Satan, has enmity between them. 
and Jesus Christ and his seed. You see, Satan, he says here, could only bruise the heel of Christ. In other words, he was going to cause him to suffer. While Christ, on the other hand, would bruise the head. In other words, inflict the fatal blow, the mortal blow, to utterly destroy him. This is the first prophecy of the coming Messiah and the destruction that he would bring upon Satan. We'll look at some of those things in more detail, but right now, we need to grasp that here in the acuteness of man's fall, we need to recognize that these have become enemies. God himself put the enmity between Satan and his seed and Christ and his seed. There is a spiritual battle raging and we're each and every one on one side of the other and you've got to recognize that is God asking you today where are you? There's only two sides. There is no neutral territory. Another encouraging thought we set aside each year this day to remember the fallen in battle. And in this life, many have fallen in the physical battles of man. And we remember them and we honor them. We pay tribute to them for making that ultimate sacrifice. But in the battle that God is speaking of here in Genesis 3.15, all of those other battles have come from this one. <laughs> this is the root of all of them. And you know, in this battle, in this spiritual battle, we may see some stricken down. We may see some with their heels bruised. We may see some that are caused to suffer, even put to death as Jesus Christ was when he hung up on Calvary's tree. But guess what? He didn't stay dead. On the third day, he arose, praise God. He was victorious and he lives forever in him. So will you. In this battle, Jesus Christ will deliver the ultimate blow to the enemy. He will bruise the head. He will utterly destroy the enemy as we read earlier in those passages. Satan and all that belong him. <laughs> you see, <laughs> there will be Zero, no fatalities on Christ's side. None. One side, they're all going to be destroyed. On the other side, no one will be destroyed. You see, the only fallen in this battle is the enemy of Christ. You say, but I'm not his enemy. Oh, you need to grasp these truths here this morning. You are. And enmity is there. A separation, a division, a hostility. You became enemies right from the Garden of Eden. Just 
as those that wanted to claim that they were the seed of Abraham, spiritually today, you can only become the seed of Christ through repentance. I give you these two verses in closing this morning. When Paul was writing to the church at Rome, two verses. First of all, in chapter 8, verse 18, I believe that he's speaking of these battles, these struggles that we go through in this life. He said, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in me. And of course, he goes on to show that. He's talking in this passage in context of this battle. No condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. He's talking about this battle between the spirit and the flesh and everything that's of the flesh is an enemy of God. But spiritually, he says, one day. And he makes a promise in the closing chapter, in chapter 16, verse 20, he said, and the God of peace, Notice his words here. Shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The prophecy of Genesis chapter 3 will shortly come true. God will bruise Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Friends, that's where we are today. When we see the acuteness of man's fall, we see that as we look there in the Garden of Eden, that there was this enmity of Satan that was placed there that day. Today, you really just have to choose sides. <laughs> Whose side are you on? Are you on the Lord's side? There's no other sides out there. Is his side or Satan's side? 